Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. I'll be reading from the New King James, which has been our text. And then I'm going to read this. Um, did not give it to media people, but I'm going to read it from the NASB, uh, which is the Bible I brought to, to church today. Uh, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. The New American Standard Bible puts it like this. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. That a man be found or a woman be found trustworthy. If you want to be a steward of the kingdom of God, you need to be trustworthy and faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thankful, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful, Jesus, for the amazing moves of your spirit that we have when we gather on Sundays and, yes, even here on Tuesdays. But, Lord, I know that for so many of us, God, it is it is the word. It is being rooted in the word that makes our spiritual experiences the power and the worship that we feel, Lord, in our personal devotional time and when we gather on Sundays, Lord, it's what gives it's what gives those experiences depth and it's what matures our soul. Let that be true of us here tonight, we pray in Jesus name. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. We are in the grand finale of our service as well. Let's see how well I do first. Then we can figure out if it's just grand, if it's grand or if it's just a finale on our series on loyalty. And, um, our title tonight or a subtitle is signs of, of loyalty. And the one thing I want to address at the beginning is that this is a countercultural series that we are teaching. The world is about me, but the church is about Jesus. Postmodern, secular, dare I say even pagan, 21st century Canada, and I'll not geek out on this too much because we got a lot of content we got to go through in 38 minutes and 41 seconds. In a post-Christian, very secular Canada, Everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Morality is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, righteousness is in the eye of the beholder. We are an anti-authority, uh, anti anti-submission culture. Now, humanity has been that since the fall, but it seems um, ever since, ever since um, this 21st century has kind of come about, that this, what we have been teaching here, has become even more countercultural. But the world is the world is of itself and of the devil and of the spirit of the age, but not so of the church. The church is called to be different. In fact, that's what church means in Greek. It's ecclesia, the called out ones. And as a result, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to function differently than any other institution on the planet. Our culture says, what's in it for me? The idea of serving selflessly and being loyal and, and that through selflessness and faithfulness and loyalty that our own needs are met, that's not a worldly that's not a worldly doctrine, but that is a doctrine that we find in the kingdom of God. And the premise of this series is that God's calling us to faithfulness, trustworthiness, and loyalty. 
And so um, the reason why pastor mentioned this last week, so I want to review what our pastor taught, that where there is commitment, covenants, and leadership, loyalty will be tested. In your life, wherever there is a commitment, covenant, or leadership, loyalty will be tested. Things like marriage vows, family ties, pastoral authority and leadership, even member-to-member, disciple-to-disciple relationships, they're going to be tested, they're going to be stretched, and we're going to have to make a choice to love one another, we have to make a choice to submit to godly authority, and we're going to have to make a choice to honor the, the marital vows and family vows that we have made. And so Pastor's Bible study last week was incredible, please go watch it again, but tonight our goal is to push this concept further. And we want to look at signs of loyal people. Now, this is going to apply to your relationships as well as directly in the church for a lot of these principles. But for some, they're going to apply exclusively to the life of the, of the local church. Now, this is a big list. And, uh, but the goal of this list is for you to look internally, not for you to, you know, side eye anybody that you're sitting next to or is across the pew or anything. This goal, the goal of this list is for self-reflection, uh, to first identify loyalty traits in yourself and then to identify afterwards loyal people that are in your life and yes, even in your church family. And so these are signs of loyal people. These are, these are the characteristics that are present within somebody that embodies this idea that they are a steward who is found trustworthy, found faithful, found loyal. Number one, people who are present in times of pressure or crisis. Life is full of ups and downs. Amen? Life's crazy. It's just, you think it's just all smooth sailing, but it's not. Life is full of ups and downs. And that is where those who are loyal in your life and in the kingdom of God can be found. Their proximity to you during times of pressure or crisis. Listen to what the word of God says. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice who is beside you in times of crisis, or better yet, have some self-reflection and ask yourself, am I the kind of person that runs away when other people have drama in their life? Here's what Dr. Seagrave said about this proverb. Someone who has friends, now, he's not talking you to do it, and this proverb's not about you doing an analysis of the friends that are around you. It's asking you really about the kind of friend that you are. Someone who has friends will find it necessary to practice friendship with them even when it's not convenient. The consequence of having friends is the obligation that you will be a friend to other people. Friendship and loyalty is proven in times of crisis, pressure, and adversity. That's when it's really shown. Anybody can be friends with anyone. Anybody can be loyal to anyone when the life is good and the blessings are flowing and everything is great. But when everything is being turned upside down in your life, that is where you know who your 
real friends are. And that's when, when you notice things are being turned upside down in other people's lives, that's where, you know, you get to say, okay, I have a choice to be an authentic and loyal person in this time of adversity. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A true friend is consistent in love, not fair weather, not not easy come, easy go, not available only when it's to their advantage. If we would be a friend to others, we must be willing to make the commitment of time and effort. Friendship is not always convenient and adversity proves the true test of brotherhood. That's when you know if someone's your brother. When you start fighting the devil, do they show up Along, Do they pull up next to you in the middle of your adversity to stand there and fight along and support along with you? What's the application when it comes to loyalty here from these two Proverbs tonight? In your circle of family and your friends, be someone who can be counted on. Be loyal in the church. Here's how it applies to the broader context of our Bible study over the past several weeks that we've been going through. Churches go through crises. Churches experience pressure. They do. I've been here since I've been 15 years old. I have seen this church go through some ups and some downs. Things happen. There are problems. People fail. There are external pressures. There are internal pressures. There are financial pressures. People that are leaders fall into sin. Church members that are prominent make massive mistakes in your life. There are ebbs and flows, like in a family. There are ebbs and flows. Not every year you've had in your life since you've been an adult, you've knocked it out of the park. Sometimes you've struck out. Sometimes it hasn't been fantastic. And just the church is the family of God. So if in your family you don't have a year where you're just killing it, imagine what it's like when you get, in the case of LifePoint, a couple of hundred people that come through the doors every month that consider this church their church. You're going to have some ebbs and flows in some lives and who stands and who stays when the going gets tough is, a, is, is proof of loyalty. When others depart for something shinier, and I'm going to use a word from the church growth world, or more attractional, shows you who is loyal. There always will be another church with a better program than LifePoint. There always will be another church with a better this than LifePoint. There will always, there will be churches with better communicators and better preachers than there are at LifePoint. I'd like to think that we do okay when it comes to what we offer in ministry, but here's the thing. It's sometimes I'm going to deliver sermons that are going to be a bomb and there's going to be a stretch of times where I'm going to deliver some messages messages that are going to be a bomb. And if you are the kind of person that treats church like it's consumer driven and oriented where I'm coming to church with my shopping cart and I'm going to fill it up with my programs and my expectations. And if those are not met, then I'm hitting the road. Then you haven't caught the concept of what faithfulness to the family of God really means. When the church goes through issues, we stand together. When people in the church fail, we stand together. When people fall into sin, we stand together. Mark those 
that are among us, the scripture says, who are absent when the church is going through difficult times because pressure and pain reveals character. Pressure and pain reveals character. Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. That's funny. Now, there are limits. Pastor talked about how pastors need to be open, how leaders need to be open. We have said as pastors, if you want to know how much we make, you want to know there's only two employees, three employees that are paid um, a, a salary. If you want to know at the end of service how much I make, you come up. If you're part of this church, you come up, you ask, I tell you. You want to ask questions about how money is handled. We have business meetings, but also you've got access to your pastor. We have to be faithful. Now, there are limits to... Loyalty, if there are egregious things like abuse, abuse of power, abuse of people, theft of money, theft of property, all these things were addressed and pastor talked about last week. Obviously, when there's egregious, immoral sin that is unrepentant at the top, at the leadership level, or unethical dealings with people... You have no obligation to hang out here. If, if, if pastor or any other, if me, if we, if we fall into moral sin and I'm not removed from leadership, I'm not brought to repentance, that's your sign. This is not the place for you and this is not the place for your family because we don't sweep sin under the rug because we are a church that believes in righteousness and holiness and accountability. But... If all of those things are not happening, if the egregious things are not happening, then faithfulness is important. Connected to this idea are people who remain faithful not only when you are going under difficult times, but people who are faithful when they are under pressure. Pressure reveals who someone is. Not only do loyal people stick with you when you're going through a hard time, but loyal people... Stick with you and stick with Jesus when they are going through a hard time. People who are loyal have a predetermined set of values and doctrines and practices that they have said, I'm not giving up no matter what. This is not going away no matter what. And they have the ability to remain faithful even when their emotions tell them otherwise. I'm going to keep going. Principle number two. People who are loyal tend, this is another marker, they tend to have moral character and love holiness. What do I mean by, by moral character? I mean that they are sexually moral, financially ethical, and they love holiness. People demonstrate their potential for loyalty in the life of the church and in the life of your family by how they manage and protect their most sacred relationships. People who are able to remain loyal to their spouses are able to remain, they have the ability, the potential to remain loyal to you and to the kingdom of God. If someone has a persistent problem with sexual morality in their life post-conversion, that's something that you, if it is persistent in their life, something that we need to take note. A person who continually lives in sin is often in rebellion against God. And that attitude of rebellion against, if they're going to rebel against God and they're going to rebel against their most sacred relationships, then everything is kind of on the table. Until they repent, until they change, until they're held accountable, until they're restored, this attitude of rebellion and disloyalty can cause a person to turn on all kinds of other relationships at a moment's notice. 
And I don't know what I was feeling when I say this, because we don't have an issue with this at our church, but I want you to make to take note of it if you see it here or other places. Church leaders, people in influence, pastoral leaders, if they are men and you see them acting inappropriately with women, they're handsy, so to speak. They're flirtatious with members of the opposite sex. That is a red flag to me, and it should be a red flag to you. Financially ethical, when we talk about having character. I'm talking about paying your taxes. Now, excluding all legal expense claims, of course. I'm not saying you got to not claim your expenses because you want to give the federal government more of your money. I'm not about that life. I don't think you have to be about that life either. If you have legal and, 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 and legitimate expenses to claim against your income, like your, your uh, contribution statement that you get every year from our church, you can put that against your income tax. Go, at, go ahead and do that. But, but financially ethical, accurately reporting your income, char- charging fair prices, not, theft, not stealing from your company, either time or materials. That is a sign of character. Loyal people are the worst people to try and gossip to because they don't let the story continue. Disloyal people have poor character and are habitual receiver of complaints. That is a sign of poor character. Feedback, usually it comes to leaders like this. Lots of people are saying, many, member, many members have come to me, and, and this is pastor what they're saying. My response is, when I get that, lots of people are talking. I go, oh, who? Give me their names. Let me know so I can go to them directly. That's not a, you know, a gotcha moment, not to argue, not, not to rebuke but to seek to understand. And if a loyal person is genuinely reporting some disappointment or some things that they hear in the body and go, Pastor, I think you need to hear that, they will have no problem disclosing and being open about conversations so that pastors and leaders can best serve the congregation that God has called them to lead. But if it's always anonymous, it can be people angling for their personal preference who often hide behind the line that lots of people have come to me saying, well, what's this have to do with holiness? It has everything to do with holiness because holiness does not just apply to the clothes that you put on or the entertainment that sits before you eyes or how you adorn your life. It also has a whole lot to do with about how you ethically deal with people that are your brothers and your sisters in the kingdom of God. And loyal, what's the devil called? He's called the what? The accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. And so my, my admonition to this church here today is be careful of people that want to always be accusing their brothers and sisters of something. Be careful of people that are always looking to point out the flaws to point out the errors, to point out the missteps and the misgivings. I'm not talking about allegations of crimes. All of you who are volunteers, you saw our Plan to Protect podcast that just came out all the training you've got to assign to. I'm not talking about holding moral failures to account for which there has to be intervention. I'm talking about just accusing people of not being good enough, 
not being spiritual enough, attacking character, attacking, calling people out all of the time. Don't do that. Loyal, godly people live holy lives with their external relationships. And even if they see a flaw, they're not about to go gossip in the body and poison the body about someone who probably just needs love and support and care and an altar call to pray through. We lift one another up. Not that we are blind. Not that we don't see the way life is. But we understand that the body is best served when we support one another. Of course, this is unless there's predatorial behavior and, and division and all of that type of stuff. We have had to, in the life of this church, deal with immoral and predatorial behavior. Thankfully, not against uh, children since we, we have been here, but just just people, guys being dogs, and we've had to confront them and tell them, you repent, you don't treat women this way, and if you have a problem not repenting, you need to go bless another ministry. And when you do, don't worry, we're going to call your pastor with that letter of transfer and let him know how you're going to bless his ministry. That's, that's just what you've got to do when people are acting in a way that is dangerous towards those that are vulnerable. But unless that is happening, we support and we love one another and we practice sexual morality, financial ethics, and holiness of lifestyle. Number three, people who are loyal are often people who are healing from their hurts. I Notice I don't say healed because healing is like an onion. Forgiveness is an onion. If you've ever had to, if you've ever had to deal with stuff before, you, you know, I'm in my own life. I, I've, I've been wounded. I've been offended. I have been hurt. And you think you're over it. And then you're not again. But the, but the goal, the goal is direction. The goal is that the sharpness is decreasing over time. It doesn't that the wound becomes something that is in the process of being healed and restored. It's not getting infected. I remember I, I, got, I, I, I fell when I was a little kid and I got my, my knee, got cut. And um, like, like a good responsible kid that I was, I, I, it's gross, I, I, I poked and picked at the cut. Well, it got infected. You want to know what happened? It hurt more three weeks later than it did when I first got cut. That's how that infection worked. I had to let it heal in order for it to get better. It's the same thing with offense. When you're offended, if you don't allow the process to complete so that you are healed from the wound that you have in your heart and you have in your life, you can find yourself 10 years removed from a traumatic event and you hurt more than when it happened. Right, And so people who are loyal are people who are healing. They're in the process of healing from their hurts. Loyal people are those who take responsibility for their pain and seek to heal, move past, and grow beyond their trauma. They understand that each relationship, each person and situation is unique 
and that it is broken thinking to foist previous issues upon new places and new seasons of life. People who are healing don't deny their pain, they don't disregard their pain, but they refuse to universalize their painful experience. I gotta move on quickly from this. Disloyal people are often very broken and unhealed. So it's not that there are Christians that are just psychopaths that just sit on the pew conspiring how to mess up a church and mess up people and break up friendships and sow division. Often behind someone that is sowing division or in a broken relationship, in a broken family that is at the core of the instigation is a broken person themselves. It is somebody that has been hurt and somebody that has been wounded. And so here's what loyal people have learned to do. They have learned to say, the thing that happened to me stinks. It's awful, but I'm not going to paint everybody with the same brush. Wounded people say, I've been through things like this before. I know what's going to happen This happened before at this job. This happened before in this last relationship. My last friend did this. My dad did this, so all men are like this. My mom was like this, so all women are like this. You know, I had a run-in with this person of this demographic, so everyone else from that demographic is now painted with the same brush. I had a friend, and I hope Um, I hope they, because I've had like eight friends say this to me in the past six months. And so if you're watching, uh, friends, um, yes, I am talking about you, but also no, I'm not. And so I had a friend of mine that was offended at something that had happened in the church and they get, they're, they're on the phone. And I was like, they go, Adam, why are we like this? Why is the church like this? And I said, who's we? Well, uh, this person over here will say that person over there. See, when you're broken on the inside, and this is where your brokenness can lead to unfaithfulness and disloyalty, is, is when you don't deal with the pain that's in your heart or when you universalize it, every place becomes a toxic and dangerous place. And never once do you stop and go, hey, that was that person and they did something bad over there and that was an awful thing and praise God I'm not there anymore. Praise God I'm not in that environment anymore. Praise God I've moved on from that job or that friendship, that whatever anymore. But I can't bring that past experience into this new experience and expect it's all the same. Maybe it's not that every job you go to is toxic. Every, every relationship you go is, is toxic. Every friendship is toxic. Maybe you're just wounded and you need to be healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to move on. If, if, you don't, if you don't work on your own healing, you will struggle with faithfulness and loyalty until you push that that chip, that defensiveness off your shoulder because you're always looking for the next blow. You're always looking for the next hit. Always looking for the next body check. If you don't, you'll never be able to give of yourself selflessly, love people without conditions, submit to God's authority on your life and be a healthy member of your church, which are all things that are conditions for faithfulness and good stewardship in your life. So people who are loyal are people that are willing to confront and be healed or in the process of healing from their pain. Moving along. People who are humble. People who are loyal often have humility. 
Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Humility is not insecurity. Humility is not a lack of confidence. Humility is not understanding who you are in Christ Jesus. Some of the most humble people I know are very aware of their gifts. They're very confident, not in themselves, but in the power of the Holy Ghost that's inside them. They don't believe in the power of you know, positive thinking or self-esteem. They believe in God-esteem. God has esteemed me by the power of a spirit, and I walk not in my own strength, but in the anointing that comes from him. It's not walking around saying, oh, I'm just this horrible person. No, it's I'm a child of God. I am a king. I am a priest. I am called out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's got a purpose for my life. But humility on top of that confidence in the Lord says, you want to know what? I'm in the body for a reason. And I'm in the body because I don't have all the answers. I've got blind spots and I don't know everything. And humility will impact how you treat people, and every relationship that you have in the church and in your family. Humility refuses to allow giftedness, talent, and maturity to lead you to believe that you're better than anybody else. Humility says, you want to know what? I may be here. There may be some people that I'm leading and mentoring. They're, they're in a different place in their walk with God. That does not make me better than them. In fact, it should make us some more thankful for the graciousness and the goodness of God. Let's talk practically in church life here. People who are humble are people who are willing and able to be trained and retrained. As leaders in the church, humility and trustworthiness and loyalty is expressed by our willingness to continue to keep growing and keep revisiting core doctrines, core practices, core skills, with eagerness. It's not coming into church and going, oh, another series on the oneness. Oh, man, another series on prayer. Oh, another series on relationships. Didn't we talk? No, it's, it's the humility of heart to say, I want to get closer to Jesus than I ever have before. And sometimes I got to go back and I got to look again at an old truth in order to keep my walk with God growing. Humility as expressed by loyal people or their willingness, as I said, to keep growing. They're willing to learn new skills. And be retrained in old ones to keep their gifts sharp. In the life of the church, it also includes people who are willing to do menial tasks that can serve the body. We all want to serve in our gifts. I want everybody in this church to serve exclusively in the things that they are uniquely gifted by God to do. That's what, I, that's what I want to see. We're, we're trying our very best to get there. We're working really hard. There's, there's, it's, we're, pushing, we're pushing to do that. But I want to let you know that just like a family, sometimes there are things that have to get done that are outside your gifting. And someone who is faithful to the kingdom of God and loyal to their local church says, you want to know what? This is not my comfort zone. This is not my thing. This is not my gift. You want to know what? This is a need. And I want to fulfill this need. Let me give an example from my family. I don't know if my wife's still stuck in traffic or not, um, bringing her sister back from Toronto. But one of the things that I hate to do is the dishes. Hate it. Absolutely. Wet food that's already been attached to somebody's mouth. Not a fan of that. 
I'm not a huge germaphobe, but I've seen my son eat. It's like watching a line in the Serengeti. It's, we're working on it, but he's not all the way there yet. And I, but here's the thing. I hate doing dishes. It is not, I have to put a podcast on just to keep my mind straight when I do dishes, not to spiral. You know, I hate doing the dishes. It is not my fatherly gift. My fatherly gift is uh, making the food that made all the dishes dirty. That's, that's my gift. You need something grilled. You need something fried. You need something sauteed. You need, you need a piece of meat cooked. Like the, I'm your guy. You, you, you want some food made? I'm your guy. But we have a deal in our house that every other night, someone I, I, I put Judy to bed, and I get to read him his comic book Bible and pray with him and go through Bible verses and talk about his day. And then I get to, you know, pile the stuffed animals on the bed, find him a sleep mask because he is insistent the room must be completely dark in order for him to have optimal sleep. Get the, you know, I get to have, we get to laugh, we get to have a great time. But then on the other nights, it's time to do the dishes. That's not my gift. But you want to know what? It serves my family. Because if we're going to be able to make breakfast for him in the morning, his two eggs and bacon, because he's a carnivore. And uh, by the way, we need to pray against the rise in food prices, because my nine-year-old, Catherine, you know, you have two, two men that you raised in your house. They eat a lot of food the older that they get. That's already happening to me. I know that if breakfast is going to happen, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, throw my, my ear pods in my ear, and I'm going to do those dishes. I'm going to scrub those pots. I'm going to scrub those pans. Same in the body of Christ. There are times when what we are doing is filling a need that is beyond what we enjoy to do. The people who love the kingdom of God will say for a season, I'm willing to do what's not comfortable. I'm willing to do, I'm willing to step up, roll up my sleeves because I love my church and I love the body of Christ. I am running out of daylight, but I want to hit these, hit these points before I, before I close. That is this. Another sign of a loyal person, and this is for married people. It's not speaking to singles. Are people with an overall healthy marriage? We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but everyone has difficulties in marriage. No relationship is perfect. If you got into a fight on the way here and you thought I drove beside you and saw the fight, I'm not talking about you. I wrote this two days ago. Okay, everyone is going to have, there are too many people laughing here. Um, the, the spirit is, is reaching for you. Um, everyone is going to hit a rough spot. If you're married, you're going you're to have a couple of weeks where you're like, I'm not sure I like this person. I'm, I'm commanded by God to love you, but I don't have to like you. And right now, I don't really like you. I'm talking about the overall direction and health of your relationship. Your marriage, if you're married, reveals your potential for loyalty and disloyalty. Here's why. And I'm going to make this one point, and then, then, I'm, then I'm going to move on. Your character is revealed at home. You are who you are at home. At church, you can walk in, smile on the face, hey, right? Everything's good. Everything's awesome. Your family knows who you really are. They really know who you really are. And who you are at home People who have persistently dramatic and stormy marriages is often because of pride and poor character. People that have quarrelsome and unhappy marriages, it's often because you've got one or two people that don't know how to say their story, don't know how to own their mistakes, don't know how to be accountable for when they mess it up. And here's the deal. 
that will spill over into the life of other relationships, that turbulence, that inability to apologize and repent. If you can't repent to the person you promised to God and your family that you were going to spend forever with, you're probably going to have a difficult time repenting to spiritual leaders that are in your life when you come in conflict with them. If you cannot be loyal or loving with your spouse and work through your issues, you will struggle with other relationships. Again, here, and I, I'm gonna, I, I, you're going to notice that the, the change is here in, in, in tone because I understand everybody's at a different place in their walk with God. I'm going to not use people. I'm going to use the word leaders. Another sign of loyalty is leaders who are faithful and consistent in their tithes and offerings. How someone handles money like they handle their marriage or their family or their children, tells you about their character. Anybody can be a faker to anyone twice a week. Anybody can. Get enough caffeine, get enough sugar in your system. You can grin your way through a worship service and you can hug and kiss all the right people, pat them on the back and be the most charming individual on on the planet. But then when you go home, that's who you are, right? Right? Not only does who you are at the house reveal who you are, but how you handle your resources and your money. How people spend and use their money tells you a lot about their discipline, what they love, and what the treasure of their soul truly is. Now, this is not something you can see in another person's life, but this is a mirror for your own life. It's for you to consider yourself as a person of influence and and ask yourself, how do I handle generosity in my life? Because how I handle my generosity and my money is an indicator of my heart. Giving is one of the realest tests of faith. Do you trust in God to provide? Do you trust in God to lead? Do you trust that God is in control? Do you continually believe that everything comes from God or do you believe that the buck stops with you? Because if you can't trust God with your paycheck, how will you trust God with your life and with your church? Because if you can settle the issue of your money fundamentally in your soul, it will produce resilience, steadfastness, and faithfulness. If you can submit to God in areas of finances, you will be able to submit to leadership from your pastor. If you submit to God in areas of your finances, you'll be able to handle change and methods and alterations to legacy ministries and the local church without becoming disillusioned with the body of Christ. You will be fine with not getting your way or hearing, no, not right now. This is not the time. This is not the moment for us to be doing this. And because you've already settled the biggest issue of your faith, which is your money, you will have produced the strength of character. To be able to submit. Lastly, person who is willing to accept. A loyal person is often someone who is willing to accept, embody, and submit to the philosophy, standard, visions, and procedures of their local church. Here's the thing. And, and I've got, this is my last point before I close. So this is the last point before I make a series of other points. Just in case you're keeping time. Every apostolic church is different. I've I've been blessed by the Lord to be able to to see a lot of the United Pentecostal Church over the past 10 years. And every United Pentecostal Church is different, and that's a good thing. It's written right into our policies and our manual that every local church is autonomous. 
Some may want uniformity like Anglicans or Catholics, but that's never going to happen. That's not the way the apostolic church, whether it's the UPCI, the ALJC, the WPF, the Cool JC, or many of the other oneness apostolic organizations that are out there. Because the apostolic church seeks to do two things. Ask God what he wants us to do here and then take the principles that we see in the book of Acts and we contextualize them to the community that we're in. That being said, because we seek unity, not uniformity across an association of churches and an organization, doesn't mean that at the local level, each member, each leader should just do whatever they want, however they want to do it. And um, that's not unity. That's chaos. Loyal people are willing to submit to the vision, values, processes of a local church. And if you want to know what our vision is, it's right there on that backboard. It's we want to grow a church where people love to experience God's presence, learn God's teaching, share in God's family, serve God's mission. If it doesn't help people experience the Holy Ghost, if it doesn't help them grow deeper in the word of God, if it doesn't strengthen their relationships with the body and doesn't open up a door for them to serve the kingdom, we ain't going to do it. Other people may do other things in other places, but if it doesn't check those four boxes from Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we're not going to do it here. We got values at our church. We are passionate. If someone is not passionate, you're going to struggle in ministry because we are a church that gets fired up about stuff. We're passionate about things. In fact, you take a look at all of the preachers that we have at our church, including those that are young ministers in development. They're different, different backgrounds, different ages, different cultures, different languages. But they get up behind here. One thing they're going to yell, they're going to holler, they're going to pour their heart out, they're going to cry. It's passion is a core value of our church. And we are passionate about apostolic doctrine and its application. If you're not interested in Acts 2.38 and the oneness of God being absolutely core, unmovable, and fundamental in your life, this is maybe not your church because we are a one God, apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled church. It's who we are. It's who we are. We are spirit-led and spirit-driven. That means the Holy Ghost needs to lead what we do. And we want results. We don't want us for and no more. We want to see the church grow. We want to see people get saved. We want to see them added to the kingdom of God. And we seek to be intentional in what we do. Sometimes we swing and a miss, but we're trying hard. And we have processes for getting things done. And so... Loyal people can appreciate what someone else does in another church. The internet has opened up all of the options that are out there in the body of Christ. What someone does in another context, they can go, that's cool, without despairing their own local assembly. Disloyal people are always pointing out flaws and comparing their church to other churches. That's not what we should be doing. We should not be comparing our church to trash other churches. And we should not be comparing our church to trash our, our, our church. We can acknowledge that there are differences across the apostolic movement in methods and in ideas. We can appreciate that. But it's not good to go, we should be like them over there when that God's not called us to be them over there. He's, he's called us to be us like right here. It's unwise to judge what you know as an insider of a local church by what you see on the outside of another local church. It's like judging your marriage and your family by another couple's pictures on Instagram. You should never do that. 
Never ever do that. You understand that God has called us to do a unique thing at LifePoint Church. God's given a vision to our pastor that is in place because it serves the people who are here and that God is going to bring us into the kingdom of God. And so we got to be in alignment with the vision, the values, and the processes of our church. Musicians, come. I'm going to bring this to a crash landing in five minutes. Why should we be all of, why would we take five weeks and talk about this loyalty stuff? Why would we make the room feel uncomfortable by talking about submission? Not because you're uncomfortable with the idea, but because we live in a culture that is against these ideas. Why should we talk about things like submission? Why should we talk about things like being kind and speaking uh, well of one another? Why should we talk about the things that I talked about today, about being loyal to the vision, the values, and the processes? Of a local church. Psalm 133, 1 through 3. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edges of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. Here's why loyalty is important. Here's why we have this series. I'm going to exegete this passage quickly. It's going to be coming soon to a sermon near you. But unity and faithfulness is equated to the anointing that was poured out upon Aaron. The psalmist says about unity, about loyalty, and about faithfulness that it's good. That has two meanings. It's the right thing to do. But it's also the delightful thing to do. Good means moral moral imperative, but it also means beautiful. People poured oil on themselves because it made their skin glow in a hot, dusty climate like Israel. Loyalty is not only morally right, but loyalty is beautiful to a world that is fractured, to a world that is broken, to a world that is literally doggy dog. You do what's right for you. I do what's right for me. And we all claw one another's back trying to get to the top. When people come who are lost and they see a church that loves one another, when they see a church that's united around a purpose, when they see a church that loves and believes and respects the leaders that are there that is beautiful it is good it also says it's pleasant the oil that was poured that was anointing oil was perfumed in a world without soap deodorant and camels it got stinky all up in there and so when the priest would come in with that anointing oil or the king would come with the anointing oil on his head he smelled different than the rest of the world it was poured on Aaron. His anointing oil was a sign of a few things. Aaron was set apart for a unique purpose. And number two, it was a sign of the empowerment of the Spirit. Unity. Unity sets us apart. And unity brings the power of the Holy Ghost. But I close with this. And then says, this is what ripped me up this afternoon. It says that unity is like the dew of Hermon. Do may seem like a feeble image to all of us. Like anointing oil, then do. You would have start, start with the do, end with the anointing oil, and strong. But in this area of the world, do was so important to the health of crops. Places where there was no rain, 
If you had dew, you could have fruit. Tons of scriptures in the Old Testament. They talk about how where there was dew, there was fruit. Haggai 1.10 says, Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. If there was no dew, there was no fruit. In other words, dew was essential for the harvest. If you wanted, if you wanted to have a harvest, you needed to have dew on the ground. I want to tell people the reason why pastor had us preach and teach throughout this series over the past five weeks is unity is essential for the harvest. Loyalty and faithfulness is essential for revival. It doesn't matter how good I can preach, how good we can sing, how much we can program. It is essential that if we are going to have a harvest, we've got to have faithfulness in the house of God. We've got to have people that are going to be loyal to the kingdom. People that are going to be loyal to the man of God. People that are going to love one another. People that are going to cherish one another. Why are we teaching this? Because there's a harvest that's coming. Why are we preaching this? Because there's a revival that's coming. We believe there's a flood of souls that God is going to bring to Life Point Church. But if it's going to happen, it's going to take unity in the house of God. Stand with me right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. It didn't just say unity was due and then we're going to pray. So it was like the dew of Hermon. Hermon was a snow-capped mountain. And what they called dew was melting snow caps that ran down the side of the mountain that fed rivers, that fed farmland, that was able to feed crops It wasn't just a little bit of moisture that came on the ground, but it was a flood that descended from on high that came and flooded the dusty ground. Unity is like the dew that brings a harvest. But unity is not just a little bit of moisture in the life of a church that needs revival. Unity is like a river that pours down from a mountain that floods every thirsty place, every dry place, every broken place. If we, and I believe we're a unified church, and I believe that we are a church that loves one another, but if we can shore up the stakes of loyalty and unity in our midst, there will come a flood of anointing into your life, into your family, and into this house that we have never seen before. So in the time that we have left, the band is going to sing, the worship team is going to sing and I invite you to come to the front or reach out and pray with the person that is beside you and just say God give us a love for your house God give us a love for your kingdom God help us to be loyal to one another and to the leaders and the shepherds you put in our life because there's a harvest coming my lost family is coming back backsliders are returning and we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost in our midst lift your hands right now